You're listening to a Catholic Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, I'm Michael Barber, and this is my dear friend, Jim Prothra. We're both professors here at the Augustan Institute Graduate School. We also have a passion for studying St. Paul. Uh, Dr. Prothro has completed a new book on Paul uh, that will be available very soon. It'll be a wonderful introduction to Paul's letters. He also has an uh, in-depth study of uh, Paul's use of the terminology of justification. It's a very important book. It gets cited by scholars all the time. And I've written some on Paul myself. And so we're really grateful to be with you here today to talk about Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're going to pick up in this Bible study in chapter 3, uh, verse 19, uh, Paul says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now, Dr. Prother, we've been looking here at the way Paul is addressing the concerns of those who believe they need to be circumcised in order to receive the grace of salvation, in order to receive the grace of Christ, to be fully united to Christ. And so you have these Gentiles, these non-Christian believers in Galatia, who are being led into uh, observances of the Torah, of the, the law of Moses, especially circumcision. And so Paul is addressing here uh, a question that many people would have raised. Well, okay, Paul, then why did God give us the law in the first place, right? I mean, why why did God give us the law? And let, let's unpack some of uh, his answer here. What Absolutely. is Paul saying? Well, if I could, if I could even back up a tiny bit, just uh, maybe one way to frame this. Um, if you ever had a conversation with somebody who also believes that the Bible is like the Word of God, but they read it completely differently than you do, right? Um, uh, Paul is engaging in something kind of like that here, right? So you've got Christians in Galatia who, you know, have, have come in, they've received the Holy Spirit, right? They've received life in Jesus Christ and righteousness um, uh, by believing the gospel that Paul preached and by living in Christ. Um, uh, but people are coming around and say, well, hey, look, there's this book in the Bible, that's God's word, just like that gospel is, and it says you have to be circumcised, and if you're not, you're going to be cut out of the people. What gives? And they're going, oh, man, I didn't know about that verse. Oh, okay, let me do that too. Right? Um, and you can meet people today right, who uh, read the Bible a little differently than you do and, and uh, maybe don't have the benefit of the tradition with us. Um, and so they'll kind of pick a verse out of here and pick a verse out of here and pick a verse out of here. And then they say, I'll see this. I'm living according to the word of God. And you go, man, that seems kind of wrong. Right? Um, <laughs> one of the things that Paul tries to do with the people in Galatia in this letter uh, is to show them how to read their Bible a little bit better, right? And to sort of think through what's going on, not to leave everything flat as, well, God says this, and he says this, and he says this, and he says this, and he says this, do them all, ta-da. But to sort of uh, 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 texture it. So instead of being a flat plateau, it's more of a mountain range. So we looked last time at uh, chapter the. We're last in Colorado, of, so mountain ranges are yeah. kind of big around here. Yeah. We, we've looked at chapter two where Paul says, no, 
even Peter and I don't agree with this. All the Jewish apostles don't think that you got to get circumcised. We believed in Jesus. We were already circumcised. We believed in Jesus so that we could be justified. So obviously, right, you're reading this wrong. Chapter three, he says, okay, look, Abraham in Genesis, in the very first book of the Bible, right, is counted God's friend and justified, right, is made right with God by believing God's promise and following God. And then on the other side of the Mosaic law, right, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, basically, and a bit of Exodus, uh, the prophet Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. So you've got on either side of the books of the law, you've got these two things. So the law can't actually contradict that. Then in verses 15 to 18, we looked at just last time, he says, look, God gave this promise to Abraham that was about faith to make us right with God, right? Uh, not just faith like head knowledge, but right our, our life of faith and living in God. And that was 400 years before God ever gave the law, right, for Israel to live under. So the later law, 400 years later, can't just come in and knock out, right, uh, can't come in and knock out what God had said the first time to Abraham. So now he's got to come in in verse 19 to say, like, well, like, on the one hand, right, if it's, a, if it's about faith with Abraham and it's about faith with us and Jesus, then why did God give the law in the first place, right? Somebody else might say, like, well, look, if God said X and he said Z, what's up with Y, huh? Why do you even say Y? And so that's what he's trying to draw them into by asking this question. The why. Yeah. Which is <laughs> why it begins with why. It's in amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, and so what, what he's saying here is that the law was added because of transgressions. And I, I think in particular, he's talking about uh, the prescriptions that the Galatians are most concerned about keeping. And one thing that, you know, we point out in our book on Paul that I you know, wrote with Bram Petrie and John Kincaid is that uh, it's really interesting that God gives Abraham the gift of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17, which this is crazy, comes after Genesis 16, right? So in Genesis 16, what happens is uh, Abraham... Uh, starts thinking, well, look, God promised me this offspring and it hasn't happened to me yet. So, you know, maybe God helps those who helps themselves, right? So, so Abraham takes a hand, he takes his wife's handmaid and he has relations with her, Hagar. And then it seems at that point, the promise has been fulfilled. Abraham is going to have offspring. But in Genesis 17, God makes it clear, no, it's going to be through another son. It'll be through your son Isaac that your descendants will be named. And God's going to, in Genesis 17, promise to give Abraham a son through his wife, Sarah, which would be a miracle. And so at that point, God then gives Abraham the gift of circumcision. And it seems to me, at least, I don't know what you make of this reading, but it seems mm -hmm. to me, at least, that you could see circumcision as sort of a sign of God telling Abraham, you know, you need to trust that part of your body that you didn't really <laughs> trust to me. You need to trust that part of your body to me because what God says is you're going to be circumcised. And then basically nine months, uh, or well, a year later, you're going to have a son mm -hmm. named Isaac. Mm -hmm. So it takes great faith for this old, old man, elderly Abraham, to undergo circumcision. He has to recover 
in three months so that he can mm-hmm. conceive and have a, ch- a child in, in, in fulfillment of God's promise. And so circumcision itself, it seems to me, seems to be, and maybe you think I'm crazy, but circumcision itself seems to me to be um, a response to Abraham, not just trusting in God, but trusting in his own work, something that he can do, uh, having this relationship with Hagar and having a son. So really circumcision even to begin with is is a kind of act of faith for Abraham. Anyway, I don't know if you want to comment on that or you want to don't you don't want to touch that with <laughs> Paul, but yeah. No, I think that's I think that's good. And that's one way to read the sort of way that circumcision comes in in yeah. the Old Testament. Um one thing too, I think is that um uh, uh, it, so Paul is going to make a, a, a pair of points here, right? So at first is why the law? Well, it was given because of transgressions, right? right? And in verse 31 here in Galatians 3, he's going to say the law wasn't meant to give life, right? So if it's not meant to give 21. life, but it, yeah, 321. 321, yeah. yeah. If it's not meant to give life, right? If that you receive that uh, by your relationship with God in Christ and through faith, what what is the law supposed to do? Well, it's supposed to rein these things in. And right. another thing that it does as well, Paul says in Romans chapter seven verse thirteen, Paul says the law shows sin to be manifestly sin. Right. right? If there's let, no, let's read this passage here so sure. we can see it. It's in three twenty one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. That's the ESV here. There are lots of ways to translate that. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the point that you're making, right? That that somehow... The law, scripture, imprisoned everything under sin. Now, there's lots of ways to interpret that. You can imagine that we're kind of confined by sin or we're kind of protected from sin. There are lots of ways to read that. What do you, how do you interpret that line? Yeah, so um, uh, the way that Paul explains it in Romans 7, I think, is, is really key is sort of to sit alongside this. Um, so Paul says in Romans 7, he's addressing kind of the same question a little bit differently um, about why the law, right, and what's the problem, because it's God's law and it's God's word, so it's not bad. Well, Paul says, no, it's not bad, but he says, here's the thing that happens. I have, even after baptism, right, and certainly before that, the inclination to sin, right? The fancy word for that in the catechism is called concupiscence, right? Mm-hmm. You sort of desire that pulls you toward what's not good. You can go in any room of the house except the room at the end of the hall on the right side. Now, all of a sudden, that's the room that you want to go into. And so he says, when the law comes in, right, it makes me aware of sin. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing for the law to do, to tell me not to do it. But what happens is that sin working within me makes me go, ooh, I want to do that. I had a friend who um, uh, was in the police academy, and he was telling me about his driving test. So they had to make through this course and not hit any of these cones in under a minute. And I asked him about it. I said, well, that sounds crazy. Drive fast and everything like that. Is it intense? And he said, you got to understand, Jim. He said, a minute is plenty long enough to do the course. The reason people fail is that when you focus on the cones that you're not supposed to hit, 
you veer and you hit them, or you uh -huh. veer the other way and you hit the other one. He said, if you just look where you're supposed to go, then it's really easy to do the course. He said, I huh. finished it in like 40 seconds, hmm. but everybody else was failing. And that's what his instructor told him was why. Hmm. When the law comes in and says, don't covet your neighbor's wife, Paul says, I don't know, my heart started going, oh yeah, my neighbor's wife. She, ah, no, stop. So the, the sin does that. That's not the law doing that. Sin does that. And the other thing that happens though is that God has purposed it so that the law would actually condemn sin because it's written there, don't do this. And so when you've done it, then you go, oh, oops, mm -hmm. not just eh, maybe I had a stray throat, but like I broke a rule, mm -hmm. right? I broke God's law. And so in that way, scripture, right, sort of puts everything, right? It locks it up. It imprisons it, uh, as he says in verse 22, right? Under sin, right? So that it's sitting under condemnation and then ready, right? For the people to be delivered from that curse and that condemnation through Jesus. All right. So Paul is going to go on then to explain in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And as we've just seen, Paul explains that righteousness could not come uh, by the law. And the law can tell you what you shall not do, but the law cannot cause you to do the right, to do the right thing. And of course, elsewhere in his letters, he makes it very clear that it's the giving of the spirit that empowers us to walk in the way of faith, this, right? Yeah, this is a case in which knowledge isn't power. That's right. Because the law can give you knowledge about what's right or wrong, but it can't actually give your heart the power to choose right. Right, and carry it out. This goes back to Augustine's famous analysis where he says that the law was given in a sense so grace we would seek, right? The law is given and it reminds us, it, it, it highlights for us our sinfulness, but then the grace was given, Augustine would go on to say, so the law we would keep, right? God gives us his grace so that we can become like Christ and we can become faithful, right? So now before faith came, Paul says, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian or our pedagogue or something like that until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that language there of guardianship is important to sort of mm -hmm. tease out. And one of the one of the things that happened in the ancient world was that if you were in a well-to-do family, you would have a servant, uh, a kind of pedagogue who would be entrusted with teaching the children proper manners, protecting the children. And that and that servant would really be over the children, even though the servant was not a free person, right? Uh, nonetheless, the children were bound to obey that, that servant that was put over them. Mm -hmm. um, and Paul is identifying the law in the Old Testament with that sort of figure, right? Yeah, and you can see here, right, the, the law was our guardian until... Right. Right? So there's a there's a there's a purpose for this. Now Paul's thinking about the nation of Israel. He's not telling Christians that they don't have to read the Old Testament <laughs> law anymore. Right. He's going to quote it at him in chapter five. Um, but this is he's talking about the, right the law that came 400 years after Abraham, right, and sort of was over Israel to keep them. 
right? To keep them separate from other nations, to keep them from paganism, right? To at least, even if it didn't actually work all the time, right? To keep them in line and tell them what was right uh, so that they could self-correct. But it's something that was over them in this particular kind of guardian-y way unto the coming of Christ. Uh, and what some of the people are doing by implication right, in Galatia is they're saying, oh, yeah, well, the Messiah's here, but I still, right, I still want to be under the guardian. Right. So one of the things the guardian would do in the ancient world is the guardian wasn't the primary teacher. They actually would take the kid to <laughs> right. school. And Make when, sure they got there. <laughs> right. And when the kid got to school, who's in charge? the actual teacher, mm -hmm. right? Same way that the law is supposed to be over Israel to get them to Christ. And then once Christ shows up, Christ is the main teacher, right? And his law comes to help us interpret the old law. Uh, I can remember being a kid. My mom tells this story, but I remember slightly the feeling, right? Mm -hmm. you, you always, memory is weird that way, right? People tell you you did something and then you're like, oh, I got to remember that, right? Um, but my mom tells a story about when I was in, I think, kindergarten, and we all had to line up single file to go to lunch. And you weren't supposed to talk or get out of line, okay? Now, that's all fine, right? And there we are in nice, hot Florida when I was in kindergarten is where I lived. Um, and my mom showed up to take me to lunch. And I didn't move. And she came up to me <clears> and she <throat> said, come on, Jim, it's time to go. It's time to go to lunch. No, you're coming to lunch with me. And I was like, shh, mom, shh. Stop it. No, no. Right. I'm like crying and bursting on the inside because mom is trying to get me to break a rule. And what my mom has to tell me is that, hey, I'm the reason the rule is here <laughs> so that I can come get you out of the line. Come with me because I'm the one who has the higher sort of authority here. Mm -hmm. So get out of line and come to lunch with me. The right? line is <laughs> the line is supposed to enable me to be able to find you. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. But I but I didn't understand that. I just right. wanted to follow the rule. Right? right. And and Paul, the way that Paul talks about this, right? He, he tries to make us think about the law in those terms. Right. right. Not law bad, but right law with purpose for Christ, right? And if we use it against the message of Christ, right. then we got a problem. Yep, right? that's right. All right, so Paul goes on to say, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And for, he goes on to say, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So here we see the idea that we are we receive the gift of divine sonship, not simply by keeping the law, not simply by being circumcised, but through faith in Christ. And what would happen in the ancient ancient world is the children would be under the guardian until they grew up. And then mm -hmm. once they grew up, they received all the rights of the sons, uh, the daughters of a household, so that they were no longer under the servants. And so the idea is, here we have in the coming of Christ, a kind of growing up of humanity. And in mm -hmm. fact, church fathers like Origen or Augustine would develop this idea that in Christ, we have now received the fullness of faith. And in, in a certain way, humanity is developing like a child. And with the coming of Christ, humanity is called to the deepest maturity. And so uh, Origen will talk about how in the Old Testament, God is speaking to his 
people. God is speaking to his people in like baby talk. He's, he's reaching down. He's, he's trying to come down to their level to communicate in ways that they'll understand. But in the new covenant, what happens? God picks up his children and he elevates them and he raises them up to himself. And I think it's a beautiful image to understand Mm -hmm. what is being talked about here. And in the second Vatican council in the Vatican II talks about how the law was and the law, we have God's in the old Testament. We have God's divine pedagogy where God is raising us up using the same kind of imagery. Any, any further thoughts? No, I think, I think that's great. Now, some people might ask Dr. Barber, they might say, well, so, but it sounds like you're just talking about like, like progressive history, right? right. Humanity right. used to be kind of dumb, but right. now that Jesus has come, <laughs> anything that's AD, right, we're kind of right. coming up. But but that's not quite the point, right? How is it? It's not just that Jesus has come in history, but how is it that we become sons in the family? Right. And the get key idea up? is that we find that through faithfulness. Right. Mm-hmm. And that this is something that's already modeled, modeled for us in Abraham in the Old Testament. And we could look at other Old Testament saints as well, mm-hmm. through whom God shows us the power of grace, as Paul highlights. Um, hey, did you have a thought well, you were gonna, driving at a certain no, point? No, no. I was also going to, I think the um, another part of that answer too will also come in. Um, Verse twenty-seven, definitely, where right. our, uh, how, how we become children of God through right. faith is for as many of you out. as were circumcised into Christ have put on Christ. No, that's not what he says. It's it's not as many of you have been circumcised for as many of you as received fancy hats. Uh, have put no it's, it's it's not receiving some sort of fancy hat, right? It is it for as many of you who were. Baseball fans. Uh, no, it's not. What is what is it that that draws us into Christ? Although baseball is good for the soul, it's not that. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so here we see the importance of baptism for Paul. It is through baptism that we receive that faithfulness, that gift of faithfulness, through grace that empowers us to grow up and to become like the Son of God. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all in one in Christ Jesus. This is a really important point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Especially given the context of the controversy over the Gentiles Mm -hmm. in Paul's ministry. And we see this in Acts as well, Mm -hmm. right? And if you are Christ's, I love that line, if you are Christ's. So there are two ideas here. On the one hand, if you're baptized, you've put on Christ. And that idea of putting on Christ is is a way of saying you put on Christ's character. This is a common expression in ancient ancient writers. Put on someone is actually to be like them. So in baptism, we put on Christ's character. We become like him. And so it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. This is shocking because, of course, for Jews, well, Paul already articulated this earlier, we are not Gentile sinners, right? He says to Peter, I think sort of tongue in cheek. If you've been baptized, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. We're, we're brought into that one body 
And if you are in that one body, you are Christ's. Mm -hmm. You belong to Christ. Elsewhere in the New Testament, that imagery will be associated with um, marital imagery, like in Ephesians, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where if you're one body, the reason what the reason we're the body of Christ is because we're the bride of Christ, right? Uh, so if you are one in Christ, you are Christ's, you belong to him, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And I think it's beautiful here how uh, Paul gives a nice, wonderful Christian, Catholic, kind of both and, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you've got some people saying, Right. Well, look, if you want to be part of Christ, right, if you want to join up with Jesus and his blessings, hmm. well, he's our Messiah, our people's Messiah for the family of Abraham. So if you want Jesus, you better get on board with the Abraham family thing first. You need to get circumcised. You need to eat some kosher foods, right? This kind of thing. Um, and uh, in, of course, we've heard some people, and, and, and uh, I've certainly met some people today who misunderstand the response of the New Testament mm. to put Jesus first. And so they say, oh, see, all we have is Jesus. We don't need Abraham. Right? Right. We don't need the Old Testament. We don't need Israel and that stuff. We have Jesus. We can clip off all the Bible except for a couple of nice prophecies and start with Matthew. But Paul doesn't do that. Or we don't right? even need the Bible. Right, right, right. You get something like that, right? Right. But Paul doesn't do that, right? He doesn't say, you don't need Abraham at all. Forget it. He says, if you're Jew or Gentile, male, female, slave-free, anybody, right? what you need is Christ. And when you're in Christ, you find all the promises of God are yes. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God are yes in him. And that means that in Christ, right, you get Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and everybody else, right? And you become part of that story if you weren't before. Mm -hmm. And if you were part of that story before, mm -hmm. like Paul was, you become even more perfectly part of that story because you're part of its fulfillment, right? And what it was always pointing toward in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really important that Paul points out earlier that Abraham was already justified before he was circumcised because the key idea there is, well, Gentiles are the uncircumcised. And so God in his providence saw to it that Abraham was first ju justified when he was uncircumcised to foreshadow the way that even the Gentiles can be heirs of Abraham, heirs of the promise made to Abraham. So Abraham is the father of Isaac and Jacob and Israel, but he's also in faith, the father of all nations and all peoples um, who, if they embrace Christ and receive baptism, participate in, 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 the inheritance of Christ himself. This is really an important idea, right? If you are in Christ, if you are united to Christ, then you are, by definition, a participant, a sharer in all of the things that belong to Christ, including his, his identity as the seed of Abraham, his relationship to Abraham and the same grace that was given to him, promises made to him. Now, at the end of this line, uh, at the end of this section, Paul talks about how we are heirs according to the promise. And, and this idea is going to get developed further in, in the next chapter, where Paul is going to continue to talk about the difference between an heir and uh, who is a child and a slave. That Here we have 
Paul explained that we're not simply um, we're not simply slaves of God. We are children, and this really needs to uh, affect the way I think we approach God and the way we understand God. And of course, what Paul is saying here to the Gentiles is, is really revolutionary, because what he's saying to them is, you're not just servants of God, you're being brought into the family of God. You are to see God not just as your master, not just as your maker, but this one God of the cosmos who you don't have by your customs by your traditions as Gentiles, you don't have a relationship to. This God wants to be your father in Christ Jesus. And that is going to radically affect the way we understand our spiritual life. That we don't just follow God's laws because we're slaves, and if we don't, we're going to be punished. But we recognize that these laws, these commandments are all given to us out of love for us. And this God who is our creator is inviting us to be more than just servants, but to become part of his family in Christ Jesus. This is going to be revolutionary for the Gentiles, and it's revolutionary for all of us, right? To think about the one who created the cosmos, not just as maker, not just as the one who owns us, so to speak, not just as our judge, but as the one who truly loves us, and demonstrates that love for us by giving us his own beloved son. This is a truth that I think we should end off, end with today. It's something that's worth meditating on, reflecting on, especially as we pray the great prayer that Jesus left us, the Our Father. And I think this would be a good place to just end with that prayer. Be right? perfect. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Paul, pray, pray for, for us. us. Next time we'll come back and look at what Paul says more, uh, more in, in a more detailed way, what it means to be a child of God in Christ. Until then... Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you, all of, all of you who are members of our mission circle and make these Bible studies possible. And uh, until next time, may God bless you and your family. You can watch this Bible study in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.